We are live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast for this lovely Saturday. Hope you're having a good time wherever you are and prepared tomorrow for the Lord's Day. I'm actually preaching tomorrow, so I would appreciate your prayers um, at uh, not not the church I normally go to, but uh, another church in the local area, the one my wife actually grew up at. And so uh, anyway, I'm, I'm still preparing uh, my remarks uh, for the sermon. And um, I mean, I, I've, I've already kind of know what I want to say, but uh, I'm still trying to organize those details. And it's just how my mind works. I tend to write books starting from the middle. And, and some people think that's odd. Some people get it. But uh, I don't just have everything. I, I have a lot of facts on the table, but I have to organize it. My wife calls them files. Those are my thoughts. But anyway, I'm getting my file together uh, for tomorrow. And uh, hey, Abigail. Hey, Jacob. Welcome to the live stream. Uh, good to see everyone uh, for a Saturday. I know some of you are out already. You'll probably be listening to this later. And uh, you're you're doing the weekend stuff, which uh, hopefully um, hopefully it's enjoyable, whatever it is. Uh, yep, someone just said they they heard the North of R Richmond song today. Yes, uh, I've had uh, probably more than in a long time, at least more than anything else, people have sent me that song. I mean, um, I'll get things sometimes when the Southern Baptists do something or Crew does something or some big evil organization does something. Uh, people will send me. Uh, all kinds of things, and they'll they'll want me to comment on it. They'll want me to, to just make me aware of it. And um, sometimes I'm not. Like probably ninety percent of the time, I've probably seen it, but th there are times I don't, and it, it winds up in the program. This is one I did see, and th this is it's just interesting to me that this song is striking such a nerve. So we're going to talk about uh, the song Richmond, North of Richmond. I have a number of clips to play for you on a number of different things. Uh, and uh, I just a few short announcements, uh, but I want to start off the podcast with talking about this viral song by uh, Anthony Oliver, who no one knew. Well, hardly anyone did a week ago. And now he is all over the Internet. He's all over iTunes. Uh, and, you know, why? Why is this song so popular? Why are people resonating with it? And I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but I, I do think because everything happens within a context, there certainly are things to say. And I think a lot of people are getting it wrong. Uh, not everyone, but I think a lot of people are, are getting it wrong. Uh, so anyway, uh, we will talk about that. Before we do, though, I want to uh, bring your attention to a few things. Uh, first, we do have uh, a men's conference coming up. I'm helping host this in the Adirondack, if I can say it correctly, Adirondack Mountains. And I did some calculations. Unfortunately, I had, I don't, I don't know what I did with my calculations. They were right in front of me, but I did some calculations before the podcast. And I was just curious, what would it cost you to go to a major conference, a major evangelical conference? Um, it would cost you anywhere between 200 at the cheapest to probably like 328, somewhere in there uh, to go to a major evangelical conference. That's just the registration. Now you add meals to that. Uh, seven meals, let's say over the course of three days, you're going to have to pay for seven meals. Now that's pro you're pr it's probably going to be more than that, but let's just say for the time you're there, there's seven meals. Let's say you, you're able to get, I mean, you're probably not, but let's say you can get the meals for seven bucks. That's $49. So we'll just say 50. We'll say another $50. Uh, so why don't we say $350? Then you have to pay for a hotel room <laughs> for three nights. Uh, maybe if you drive back really late, you can do two nights, but a cheap hotel room is now going to run you about a hundred bucks. So add another $300. You're talking $650 for, 
for a major evangelical conference. It's a lot of money. And, and that's one of the reasons I think, and it's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I've just shied away from those. It, it, it's so much. And, and it's, yeah, it's great while you're there, but you go there expecting to, um, at least maybe I was naive. I used to expect to meet the people that are speaking and you hardly ever do. And if you do, it's a handshake and you're done. You don't actually get to, um, to, to really talk with the, the speakers. Now you do get to hopefully sit with people and get to know people at the conference, but there's really not much to do other than sit and listen to lectures and then walk around the booths. That's just how it is. And I've been to many of these conferences over the years. And, and so anyway, a few years ago, uh, I just thought, you know, I, 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 I've been to men's retreats. I understand that's another dynamic. That's another thing churches do, um, mostly local churches with their own group. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to, to do something like that um, and bring it to more people and really um, have, have a, a men's conference. So that's what we're doing, a three-day men's conference that uh, is cost-effective. I mean, it's, it's not going to cost you at least an arm and a leg to go there. And all the meals are provided. Um, you got to get there, but we're going to make transportation easy. At least, uh, there's a carpool set up. So if you, uh, if you go to overcomingevilconference.com, you can see what I'm talking about there. There's a carpooling sign up. You can click on that and it'll take you to a page that has carpooling from different parts of the country. So if you're planning on traveling, this will help you connect with someone, share that gas. Gas is expensive right now. So, uh, if you can, if you're on the route, if you're on the way, let's say someone's coming from Ohio and you're in Pennsylvania and you're on the way. You may want to, um, you may want to go with them, but, um, but, but I, I wanted to bring the the conference uh, feel, I suppose, uh, to what what I would consider to be a better environment for getting to know people. I, I just noticed there was such a difference going to a retreat and going to one of these big conferences because at a retreat there's a campfire and and men just open up for some reason when they're around the campfire. There's uh, activities to do uh, like going to uh, the gym uh, or going on the lake, uh, going fishing, going hiking. Uh, there's just beautiful scenery right there in front of you. And so I, I thought this is just a much better environment for getting to know people. It's a much better environment for getting to know the speakers too, because um, there's plenty of time between. It's not, it's not just crammed sessions. Most of these big conferences have so many speakers. It's just session after session after session. You're afraid you're going to miss something. And so then you get the tapes afterwards. So you can listen to what you missed. But then why did you pay to go? You know, it, it's this whole thing. So I thought, you know, why not just have a few speakers and have plenty of time for people to relax, take a nap if you want to take a nap, but get to know the people that are around you. And uh, and we had a great time last year. And so anyway, this this is um, and, and by the way, I should also mention before I move on to Anthony Oliver, there is financial aid available as well. If, you, if this is just still too much money for you. Uh, email info at truthscript.com. It's right on the website, overcomingevilconference.com. Uh, and we'll figure out a way to get you there. I mean, that's, that's at least the hope. And, and don't feel shy about asking. Um, this is something we want men to come to. The, the topic this year is overcoming evil. We have a number of great speakers, and I'm going to be introducing them to you on this podcast uh, in due course. The first one I want to introduce you to is AD Robles. So this is a short, about a minute long video. And then we'll get to the Anthony Oliver stuff and uh, Richmond, north of Richmond. It is time to sign up for the Truth Script Conference. It's coming up the end of September. Check it out. It was a great time last year. Not only is the location just beautiful, 
and awesome. It's just, uh, even the drive there was just, uh, was worth it. The, the actual event itself, it, it was awesome. I actually enjoyed it. Don't tell anybody. I enjoyed it uh, more than I enjoyed the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. And I think it was because it was smaller, you know? And so I got a chance to get to know a lot of people and good connections were made. And, you know, we talked about all kinds of stuff. It was very helpful and practical, which was good, but also, um, you know, just on a personal level, it's cool to connect with a lot of you guys. So I hope to see a lot of you guys back there from last year and maybe some new faces as well. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I'll be there. You can go fishing together too. I didn't really have much luck last year, but I'm hoping to try a few new tactics this year. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, sign up for the Truth Script Conference. Hope you found this video helpful. God bless. And you can go to overcomingevilconference.com for more information and look forward to seeing many of you men there. I think uh, it'll be a, a good time. I think it's the, the best deal and the best time at a men's retreat you can get east of the Rocky Mountains. We'll put it that way. Okay. Um, what, one final, uh, very short announcement. I just wanted to let people know because months ago I talked about this documentary, American Monument, which I'm involved with. Um, I should be, you can pray for this, I should be looking at a rough draft. Uh, later next week. And um, hopefully within a month, we'll have it uh, done. And then I don't know when we'll release it, but hopefully this fall. So that is still underway. Uh, we're still doing it. And uh, it, you can go to 1607, uh, not American, did I say American Monument? I'm getting my documentaries mixed up. 1607 Project, that's the documentary. You can go to 1607 Project, I think it's .com. If you want to see more, uh, there's a little trailer there, but um, that that's going to be our response to the 1619 project. And there needs to be one because there hasn't been, I think, an effective one. OK, so uh, let's get into the Anthony Oliver stuff on that note. Now, um, there, there's this song, Rich Men North of Richmond, that uh, went viral, to put it mildly, to, uh, went viral on, um, I don't know, was it three days ago? It wasn't that long ago. And, and I think I saw it almost immediately because I'm friends with the, uh, the guy on Twitter who kind of, uh, at least I'm Twitter friends. And I met him in person. I've spent some time with him, the guy who on Twitter posted it. I don't think he realized what he was posting or at least that it would go this big. But since then, I've had all these people send me, John, you got to listen to the song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Now, um, I'm not going to play it for two reasons. First, there, because now it is on iTunes, there's probably YouTube's going to flag the video. I don't want YouTube to flag this video, uh, if possible. Um, you can go listen to it yourself if you want. Rich men north of Richmond, YouTube, iTunes. Uh, the other reason is because uh, I try to keep the show, even though we talk about a lot of sexual matters because they're in the political news, they're in the religious news. Uh, I do try to keep it as family friendly as possible. There are a few words in this song. And, uh, and, and for that reason, I don't want you to have to, you know, turn it off while you're driving or whatever. So I'm going to just read for you some of the, the lyrics to the song. We're going to start there and I'm going to substitute for some of the pro profane or what would be considered profane lyrics. I'm just going to substitute and you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I'm actually saying here, but, uh, here's, uh, the lyrics to the song. Oh, is that, no, that's not it. Yes, it is it. All right. So uh, the first line says, I've been selling my soul. I should say it in the Appalach Appalachian dialect, right? I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for, and then there's a profane word, <laughs> for crap pay. 
so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back down and drown my troubles away. Now, um, I'm going to play for you in a second, kind of an explanation, or at least part of an explanation for the song that Anthony Oliver posted before this went viral. But the the circumstances here, I think, are 2020. He's uh, he's reflecting on not just 2020, but he has the time in 2020 to reflect. And he's saying this is this is what life is like. Uh, it's, it's all these overtime hours. It's, uh, I can't pay my bills. I can't seem to survive. Um, and I've lived, I think near where he is not far, at least. I mean, I lived in Southern Virginia for a few years and it's different for people who say they're from Virginia and they're talking about Richmond or they're talking about DC, or they're even talking about the coastal areas. It's a different Virginia. It's more authentic and real. It's not just Northerners who moved down. It's not cosmopolitan. When you get out to these rural areas, it's a different kind of Virginia. It's Appalachian. And this is where Anthony Oliver's from. And it's clear. You can just look at him. You look at his face. And and there's it's the shape of his face. It's 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 I mean, genetic makeup does have something to do with this. The people who live in that area, because I live I worked in that area for a while. I traveled around doing repair work. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're Scots Irish. They look like it and they have a heritage that goes back. And, um, and, and that's where you get the bluegrass and, and this, uh, uh, this, I guess, uh, what he's doing is kind of like a country kind of American folk tradition, Americana music, but, but that's, that's where you get that. And it's rooted in the soil there. It is, it's authentic. It's real. It's not something manufactured in some Nashville studio. I think that's the beauty of it. And then if you watch the video for it, he's, he's got his dogs out, he's on a farm. Uh, some of his other videos, he has like half buried cars, which I actually, that gives me fond memories because so, so much of my family uh, comes from Mississippi. When we would go visit for family reunions, I remembered all the half buried cars. I remember they, they're just thrifty people. They're um, they, they want to conserve and save everything because they never know when they'll need it. Uh, that, maybe that's just a result of living in poverty for so long. But um, anyway, um, so, so he says that basically th- things aren't working out well in life, at least. Uh, and you know, what's the escape from it? Well, sit here, waste my life away, drag, drag back home and drown my troubles away. So, so drinking, um, maybe drugs, doing things to just try to forget about how terrible life is. And this is, I'll just say, this is what conquered peoples do. You look at native American reservations, you look at, um, just people who, who, who once were proud, who once had success and prosperity and they were conquered they tend to i'm not saying this explains every instance of someone turning to drugs or alcohol but i'm just saying in general i think there is a context here that probably fits that the people of appalachia if you read their history if you read um the history of coal mining and the war on coal if you read um uh the the history of setting up prisons in appalachia and displacing people to, to put national park highways and through and uh, the, the history, even the civil war history, you're going to come away with a perspective that, that says, wow, they really got the end of the shaft. Uh, and of course they're ignored because they don't fit the social justice victim ideology. Uh, they could, I suppose, if you really wanted to, to make them that, if you really wanted to portray them as victims and use that portrayal to then, um, uh, do some kind of a redistribution scheme of some kind, then you could do it, but people aren't interested in doing it because they're white males. They're, they're the, they're actually the oppressors in the story that the social justice warriors want to tell. 
And I've just been around too many of them to know that that's just not the case. I mean, some of these people have nothing. Uh, you know, seven of the 10 most deadly diseases common, they, they afflict people in Appalachia more than anywhere else. I mean, lack of access to healthcare, lack, all of that stuff is present in Appalachia and things just got worse during 2020. And so th this is the context that this individual, I, I believe Oliver Anthony is writing from. And, and of course this resonates with people outside of Appalachia. This is, this extends past that because it's, it's a story that um, goes beyond it. I'm just saying it's particularly bad in Appalachia. All right, living in the new world. This is the course. Living in the new world with an old soul. These rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Total control. So, you know, he, he's acknowledging the Lord here. He's saying that, uh, I mean, it's a passing reference, but as I play for you a video of uh, an interview or a, a camera, a webcam video he did or something, cell phone video, you'll see that he actually, that there is a faith in God he has. Now, I don't know if that's a saving faith or not, um, but, uh, and in fact, I think on Twitter, I had said, well, he's probably not born again. Well, I kind of take that back. I don't know. I don't know. After seeing the interview, I, I don't know. Um, people were telling me things like, well, he's got these other songs about smoking weed and stuff. I haven't listened to him. I don't know, but there, there is some kind of a religious background there. Uh, so at least a cultural Christianity. So he's saying that these Richmond North of Richmond, um, they just want to have total control. They want to usurp God. That's really what he's saying. They want to know uh, what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't uh, think you know, but I know that you do. So they don't think you're smart. They think you're dumb. They think you don't, you're not wise to their plans, but you, but he's saying that you're not dumb. You common people are not dumb. Um, cause you ain't, uh, cause your dollar ain't worth. And then there's kind of an expletive, uh, the, and it's taxed to no end because of Richmond, North of Richmond. So he's saying there's, there's still, there, they're, they're taking from you. They're, they're taking from you. They don't think you'll notice. They're trying to take uh, your privacy. They're taking your resources that you, you, and you're struggling to feed your family. You know, a lot of people find themselves in this position. A lot of people. And these are well-meaning people. These are people that want to feed their families. They want to maintain their way of life. They're honest, hardworking, decent Americans. And this is what they get. This, this isn't people that are milking the system. These aren't people who um, say they have a victim mentality, but they've been on generational welfare. These are people that are trying their utmost to make it. They're working uh, hard to do so, and they're, they're failing. They're struggling. He says, I wish politicians would, this is verse two, would look out for minors and not just minors on an island somewhere. Now, I believe this is a reference. I was listening to an interview that he did, and I think this is a reference somehow to child trafficking. Okay. And, and of course, in the wake of uh, the Sound of Freedom movie, this really resonates with people, especially. But he, he, um, I, I, I don't, I maybe understand all the symbolism um, in that line, but he's saying miners in, in West Virginia, in, in the Appalachian region, who are, there's a war on coal, they can't feed their families, the government regulations, uh, and but people in Congress seem to care more about miners on an island somewhere. Uh, they, they, they're in a, I, I think he's saying that they're in this pedophile ring of some kind. Um, now, if that's not what he's saying, then he, he's, that's one interpretation, I suppose. The, the other one could be that he's talking about the, preference that people in Congress seem to have for for others, people in Ukraine, people all over the world 
who that aren't even connected to us, but they don't care about their own people who live in their backyard. Both of those fit. He says, Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat. And the obese milk and welfare, the obese milk and welfare, saying people who don't need it are getting resources and people who do are not. Why is this situation happening? He says, and it almost sounds like a prayer at this point. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. You shouldn't be buying junk food to make yourself unhealthy, to make your, to, to fuel the problem that's already there. When if you didn't eat fudge rounds, you would be able to perhaps work. You'd be able to contribute. And he's saying, if you're grossly obese, you shouldn't be getting handouts. In fact, those are what those are killing you. Those are bad for you. Um, and, and this is at a time when some people are struggling to eat. So why is this disconnect exist? Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this uh, this darn country does is keep on kicking them down. This, this is referencing the male suicide rate. And it's, it's particularly bad among white men. White men are killing themselves at an exceptionally high rate compared to any other demographic. Why? How come you never hear about that disparity? Anthony Oliver was willing to talk about it. And then um, he says, it's a, it's a shame that the world's gotten, uh, what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you, wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. So facing the music, facing reality, not, you know, you turn on the country station today and, and you're going to hear all these party songs and all kinds of songs. And, and I've often thought, man, what, what? There's such a disconnect. There didn't used to be in country music as much. Every once in a while, you'll get a song that resonates. But even artists who record songs that resonate, uh, like Trace Adkins, I remember, recorded this song. And I think John Rich did, too, during 2020. Uh, and it didn't get any play. And, you know, we're content to just keep playing these terrible party songs. And it's, it's not us who are content, actually. It's the people in Nashville who are, who are increasingly leftist and controlling the industry. And the market demands, the people who listen to country music want music that actually speaks to the situations going on in their lives and they're not getting it. And so in steps someone like Oliver Anthony, my brother, uh, David Harris on Twitter, uh, did a whole thread that got viral, uh, maybe two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, th the thread was on, um, what he called hick libs, hick libs. And he, he said that you know, these are, uh, Tyler Childers and, um, I forget all that. You have Casey Musgraves. There's a bunch of people in there that he says, look, th these people are trying to say they're the authentic country music. They're, they're not the pop and rock of Nashville. They're real country. Yet they're leftists when you get down to it. And why is that? And and I, I mean, my theory has been any artist that uh, maybe there's exceptions, but any artist who records for NPR at, at their tiny desk uh, is probably compromised, you know, uh, Coulter Wall hasn't done that. <laughs> so there, there's just, there's few exceptions to this. It's like if you, there's two industries and they're both, they're, they intersect, but they're, they're distinct. You have one that's like the polished Nashville and that this is in Christian music and country music and even rock music and pop and all that. There's this kind of cookie cutter, you know, they, they're selling you an image optics fashion and then there's the more real supposedly authentic style but but those guys are also sometimes fake because you have to get on this circuit where you're playing certain uh venues you're, you're playing uh certain theaters in blue cities 
certain you know old theaters so there's this sort of nostalgia about it but it's in blue cities and the people you're catering to are in blue cities um you have to uh you have to go to places like red rocks um where you know it's outside there's a large urban population outside of the town and there's nothing wrong with this by the way but it's just what you have to do and, and in doing that and in, in getting on radio stations especially npr public radio stations you are rubbing shoulders with a whole lot of leftists and people who start out not leftists become leftists, just like when they go to Congress, they start out good sometimes and then they're not. And so that that's what happens in the country music industry. I happen to know this. I happen to have some loose connection with some people who are in that industry. This is what I'm told. And um, and, and uh, frankly, this is an industry I've thought about getting involved with. I don't think my voice is good enough, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm a minister of music at my church, but I, I have a backlog of stuff. Uh, funny enough, I had a song that was similar to not not well as well written, I don't think, but it's um, in a similar vein of Oliver Anthony that's been sitting on my hard drive for like years. And anyway, um, I, I've been curious. It's been a, almost a hobby of mine to to just kind of keep up with the music industry, the country music industry, especially. And and I enjoy going to Nashville and all that. But uh, but I can tell that there's a lot of rot at the top that you are disqualified at early stages if you want to speak truth and you want to meet the demand the market actually wants the market wants this they want oliver anthony and uh they're not getting it so that's the song and i want to play for you um some interviews this is before the song went viral i'm not going to play the whole thing here's just a little sample of what oliver anthony believes what he's about what he says about himself it's august the 7th 2023 i'm going to skip ahead a little bit uh we're almost we're over a minute in that i I did care about didn't mean anything to me anymore. And um, I mean, this is certainly no Dr. Phil episode, but <laughs> I, uh, I've, I found an outlet in this music and um, I started uploading a couple songs and um, you know, ain't got a dollar. I uploaded um, spring of last year and then uh, rich man's gold cobwebs and cocaine and the list goes on from there and there's probably been about a dozen or so originals that I've put out just off my cell phone and I started getting messages from people saying like how much the music was helping them and you know with their struggles in their lives and that they'd been sitting on the back porch listening to me for the last hour and it just uh I don't know it it um it really gave me a purpose it made me feel like um made me feel like I wasn't just wasting my time all right, I'm going to skip ahead again. Um, so I wanted to play that clip just to show you that this is a normal average guy in a pickup truck just telling you from his cell phone, that's how he started recording these, why he recorded them and why he kept recording them because people resonated. There's a demand for this kind of stuff. I, I sit I sit pretty dead center down the aisle on politics and, and always have. Um, I remember as a kid, the conservatives wanting war and and, and me not understanding that. And I remember, I remember a lot of the controversies when the left took office and it seems like, you know, both sides serve the same master and, and, and that master is not someone uh, of any good to the people of this country. Um, but I think one of the worst things that a human being can do is is take advantage of a child and I can't begin to conceptualize 
what has to happen to someone in order for them to think that's okay. I want to stop there. Listen to what's happening. This is happening all over the country. People are being faced with real evil. At least they're recognizing that what's in front of them is real evil. The veil is coming off. And this is one of the things I believe the Lord is using in the lives of many. And, and, and the thing that kills me, I'll just say this, the thing that absolutely kills me about this is that big Eva um, and even to, they call it mid Eva now to some extent mid Eva. But are the leaders who even the ones who didn't necessarily go woke, they are not tapping into this. They are they are content to kick people like Oliver Anthony to the curb. So many of them uh, to disparage them, to um, use them sometimes even as a punching bag, especially the woke people do this. And these are the people that the, these are the common working class people that are now realizing spiritual things are important, that we they're, they're trying to figure out how did we get off track? Something's wrong. And, and Oliver Anthony here, when he says politically, I'm, I'm down the, the aisle, centered down the aisle. The example he gives is, well, I wasn't really for war in Iraq, I guess, in Afghanistan. And. Uh, I, I didn't think we should be doing that. And, and, and he said, you know, he's against child trafficking. What he's saying is actually, and I, and I hold to this. I really think that um, a lot of the country singers that get kind of unfairly characterized, like, like I saw this with the, that, that Hicklib thread that my brother put out. Uh, like people are saying, oh, Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash would be in favor of, you know, Tyler Childer's song about homosexual minors having a romance. And it's like, where are you getting this? And, and they think that that's what they would be for because, oh, they're for the working man. They're for the little man. They're for the little guy. But really what's going on is, no, they're conservative. Those guys were conservative. They weren't neoconservatives. They weren't what you think of when you think of political conservatives today. They're people who love their people, love their place, love their way of life, wanted it conserved. And, and they were willing to be critical about their own country at times. Uh, but just because they were critical and they didn't match the the boomer con or the neocon stereotype doesn't mean they're not conservative. They're probably more conservative. And I think that probably goes for Oliver Anthony. The fact that he wants uh, the money to stay here, the people to take the country to take care of its own, not to get invo involved in um, foreign squabbles when people, when the people controlling the levers are so corrupt, that's conservative guys. That, that has been conservative for years. It, it's not until recently that all of a sudden uh, the, 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 conservatives are the more hawkish on these things um so so yeah i know he's saying he's a moderate and stuff but but he, he's interpreting this based upon what he sees from the two major parties and he's saying they're both corrupt it's a uniparty that's that's where i think conservatives are today they're, they're saying it's all evil there aren't good guys at the top and what does that mean for us well um let me play you a little bit more and then uh towards the end of this, I think he talks about religion a little bit. Fighting chance. And, um, and I'll say this and I'll go, I, uh, I spent a long time being angry, an angry little ag agnostic punk. And I remember talking about sky daddy and cloud papa. And I would get so angry about the concept of God because I, I had sort of perverted what my vision of God was because I, I looked at, I looked at the religion of man as God and not, and not God himself, but, um, there is a divine creator that loves you and, and sometimes it takes falling down on your knees and getting ready to call things quits 
before it becomes obvious that he's there. But he's always there. You just got to look out for him and listen for him. So I'll see you on the next one. Okay. So I, I don't know. If, if, if he's not born again, he may be close, guys. <laughs> Pray for him. Uh, pray for um, Oliver Anthony. Pray, pray that he would become saved if he's not, that he would uh, have that, that this sense that he has that there's evil, that there's also good, and that he needs to be on the side of good, and that God is on the side of good, that that would be encouraged, that that would prod him closer and closer to Christ. And also pray, and, and this is a big one for me, that he wouldn't be corrupted, because the, the trend is these guys... Uh, get discovered, and then it's too much fame too quick. It's overwhelming. It's just money being thrown at them, and there's contracts involved, and there's all kinds of uh, people who don't share his values who are going to make life really good for him on this side of eternity if he plays ball. Uh, that is is an ever-present danger, and hopefully he's strong enough to resist that. Here's another video. This is after. Now, he's very happy in this. I think this was yesterday. Um, uh Oliver Anthony put this out. Y'all are crazy. Uh, somebody just sent me a screenshot that Richmond, north of Richmond, is uh, number one on iTunes. And um, I don't even have words. I don't even know. Um, so everybody's been asking me about shows. I've got one kind of last minute set up in eastern North Carolina, Currituck, North Carolina, this coming Sunday, August 13th at the Morris Farm Market. So that's the Morris Farm Market, Currituck, North Carolina, August 13th. I'm playing from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. And I will stay until 2.30 a.m. if I have to. But I promise if you show up, if, you, if you're willing to come and listen to me, I am willing to stay and listen to you. I'm gonna shake your hand. I wanna hear what you have to say. I wanna hear your story. And if you're more than a few hours away from Currituck, don't sweat it. Like, don't make this into a big trip. It's not, a, it's, there's no rush with this. Like, I'm going to be playing a lot of shows, a lot of local venues. Um, I'm going to take my time with things. Like, I want to get to know all of you. Um, this is not about me. This is about you. I'm going to stop it right there and just say a guy in front of a barn playing, fiddling with some straw in his hand saying he's going to go play at a farm market and he's going to stay there as long as possible because he wants to get to know you. And it's not about him. He's got the right heart. This is not the kind of heart you have with those, the, the, the divas who go and seek their own fame and stuff. This, this guy's got a humility about him. Pray that that stays, <laughs> pray that that stays. Um, this whole industry is fraught with dangers, but uh, I, I'll tell you right now, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm just a fan. Um, and yeah, I know there's, there's, he's got a little bit of profanity in his song and so forth. And I, I, I'm sure this is coming from a place of uh, transition where he's waking up more and more to the evil around him and hopefully going closer and closer to, uh, to God. But, um, but the message, the overall message, yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, and someone is correcting me. It's pronounced Appalachia. Appalachia. Yeah. You know, my brother lives in Appalachia. I, and I, I said, I, I don't know if you're here earlier, but I worked in Appalachia for years and um, it was hard for me for some reason. I, my Southern relatives were in Mississippi, so it wasn't really Appalachia where they worked, even though my whole family, my whole line traveled down from Appalachia, but I just didn't hear it, you know, pronounced in the Southern accent so much. So, so 
um, it was it was that media accent that says Appalachia that I learned. And uh, yeah, I know it, the people who live there should define it. So Appalachia, you're right. Let's let's go with that. Uh, all right. So um, so that's Oliver Anthony. Now, I wanted to I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but I wanted to put this in um, frame this in, in another way. Just give people resources uh, for understanding this. There's an article on uh, the imaginative conservative. I think it might be mirrored. Uh, or maybe it was originally at the Abbeville Institute. Here it is. Uh, American Populism and the Power of the State by Clyde Wilson. Now, Clyde Wilson is one of the better historians on American populism, if not the best. Um, he's a, he's a history uh, historian of the South. He's, he's an expert on John C. Calhoun. I'm not going to read this whole article for you. Uh, I am going to read, let's see, the end of it. Um, well, let, let's read the beginning and, and kind of go to the conclusion. The beginning is in populism, we are confronted with a term that raises so many different connotations in different minds that we may well wonder if the term is usable at all. It is not quite as bad in this respect as democracy, a word so abused that no honest thinkers employ it uh, anymore. Every regime in the world has been declared democratic. Uh, populism implies the people. Thus, it is in most quarters a favorable sign or symbol. I sought after asset in the public forum. Okay, so. There, there's, I, I really want to read this more, but uh, just because of time, I'm going to summarize some things. Uh, populists have looked to Thomas Jefferson, the great original American critic of consolidated power, as their patron saint. So he makes a case, and he crafts this case from history, which is brilliant, uh, that populism in the American context is actually right-wing. Um, that populism is a, uh, a phenomenon also concentrated in the heartland uh, mostly the South, um, and that uh, this has been channeled politically at various times in our country's history. But overall, it's a resistance to consolidated power and the innovations foisted on us from uh, what the rich men north of Richmond. That's what he's talking about. And um, and he's saying that uh, it is incorrect, which you often hear from progressives who want to say that uh like, like, for example, here, here's a paragraph. He says, in the election of 1860, Abraham Lincoln, an ex-Whig and corporation lawyer fronting for manufacturing and banking interests, campaigned insofar as his ambiguous and oracle statements can be made to cohere against an imaginary slave power of the South that was conspiring to enslave the northern working man. He also went under the slogan, vote yourself a farm, referring to the contemplated Homestead Act. Was this populism? No, just demagoguery. Even the museum specimen progressive conservative Herbert Hoover promised a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. And a presidential candidate named Bush was a notorious uh, investment banking family was compelled to blather on insincerely about no new taxes and family values. The other common form of pseudo populism practice in that of modern bureaucratic uh, is that a modern bureaucratic uh, liberalism. And I have to close my shades. This is a live broadcast and I have to close them real quick. Hold on. Sorry about that. I was definitely going to get distracted uh, if I kept them open with uh, there. There's some people outside right now that are going to be out there and uh, uh, I don't want the noise bothering the, the podcast anyway. Um, so where were we? Populism. So um, he's saying that there's this false populism. There's this kind of um, leftist conception of populism that just isn't accurate. 
And um, because of that, people are confused about this. Now, he ends the article saying that uh, populism, as I have defined it, is still deeply ingrained in the American character, though it grows more diluted, perhaps with each passing decade. So immigration and other things. It is always faced with John Tyler's dilemma, John Tyler Caroline, a senator during the uh, federal period, which means its successes will always be temporary and limited. If one bad agenda and establishment are defeated, there will always be others waiting plausibly in the wings to manipulate the state. This is an eternal dilemma of popular government. Okay, so, and he says Pat Buchanan was basically a populist. So um, I would say Trump, I think this was written pre-Trump, but Trump would probably be in this vein too. It's it's evaluation of people in place. It's a, it's a uh, prioritization of one's own people. And um, some of the misconceptions will say it's left-wing because there's haves and have-nots. But the thing is, in populism, when you say that people are being oppressed or people are, which is basically what Anthony uh, Oliver or Oliver Anthony, I keep mixing up the two, sorry, Oliver Anthony is saying, uh, what, what's happening there, uh, some people will say is, you know, he, he's doing the whole Hegelian dialectic, he's doing a Marxist thing, he's saying that there's haves and have nots, but he's not calling for a revolution in the sense of, like, he's not saying we need a big redistribution scheme or something, or we need to, or, or we have visions of utopia, uh, equity, inclu inclusion, diversity, or any of those things. What he's actually saying is that he just wants to be left alone. He just wants to be left alone. He, go, let me live my life. That's populism. Let me live my life and you can live your life. Stop trying to badger me. And, and yes, this is a complaint against Yankees, basically. This is a, um, a recognition that there's people who can't even sweep their own porch and they want to manage your porch. They want to sweep yours. Uh, this is the Karen you know, issue on a political level. So anyway, um, <clears throat> that's Oliver Anthony, and I and I, I'd say this is this fits well within the American populist tradition. All right, so let's move on. If anyone has any uh, questions or comments, uh, you know, not, now would be a good time to put them in the chat. And of course, if you're a patron, uh, there is an opportunity to come on the show live if you'd like. In fact, I will find the link and I will put it in the live chat right now for everyone. So that uh, if you are interested in coming uh, on the chat, you can do so. Um, let's see here. Okay. So the link is now in the chat on Facebook and uh, on YouTube. You have to go there. I'm, I can't post it to Rumble in real time, at least. But uh, if you want to be on the chat, uh, check out the link. Okay. So um, let, let's... Uh, move on here and people are people are saying in the chat um how they're they're, they're giving their southern credentials uh so you, you have one individual here ed uh, uh schick i think is how you pronounce your name uh my hometown is richmond virginia uh that puts me on the rich side <laughs> yeah i mean look there's a whole lot of uh redneck types between richmond and dc uh so it's not um it's not totally that way but yes once you start getting north of richmond it, it changes um Fifth generation Tidewater farmer. Hey, neighbor, where is the Tidewater in your farm? Southeast Virginia here. So, yes. Uh, all right. Let's talk about some other things. Uh, I know I said I was going to talk about a bunch of things, spending the lion's share of the time on this song. But um, I want to get to an article. I'm trying to think what would be good next. Let, let's get to this. Um, while we're in the theme of music, let's talk about this article that uh, John Cooper was interviewed for at churchleaders.com. Uh, John Cooper actually sent this to me. 
And so um, I was just, I, I was really appreciative. I told him really good job. I mean, just the answers that he gave to this interview uh, were just above and beyond. And he has a command of the facts, which is awesome. He understands what's happening around him in evangelicalism. So uh, here is the article is uh, Christian artists are going to have to say something. John Cooper addresses the raw in the music, uh, Christian music. Now, um, let's see, am I on the first page? Hopefully I'm on the, nope, I'm on the third here. Let's start with uh, the first page here. There's John Cooper. Uh, John Cooper, frontman for the Dove Award-winning rock band Skillet, recently called out what he labeled the raw in Christian music on his podcast, Cooper Stuff, which by the way, everyone should be subscribed to Cooper Stuff if you're if you, if you like Christian rock music, if you um, especially want a Christian artist who's not woke, Cooper stuff is a great place to go. Uh, Cooper highlighted an article written by Kevin McNeese, founder of Christian music site, new release today titled What the Bleep is Happening to Christian Music. I have not read that. In the article, McNeese revisited an article he wrote in 2017 in which he discussed a growing trend among Christian artists to use swear words in their lyrics, including King's Kaleidoscope. And so he goes on, talks about this, um, you know, the changes in the Christian music industry. Um, later on this article, we'll also talk about how uh, Derek Webb teamed up with a drag queen who goes by the name Flaming Grant on the song Boys Will Be Girls. And uh, so you, you have that kind of thing going on as well. Um, you have some Christian artists teaming up with, I, I guess, uh, about homosexuals for different things. And, and so there's just, there's sexualized stuff going on. And, and so all of this is happening. Uh, and um, in this context, enter John Cooper. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. John, this is what we're hoping would also happen for uh, Oliver Anthony, right? Uh, he is fresh. He's starting out. He's not, we'll say, corrupted by the industry. John Cooper... Uh, has been in the industry a long time, and he has to stand against the trend, the current that's around him. Uh, I, I'm sure the pressure is immense at times, but he's outspoken. He's he he believes in pleasing God and not men, and uh, he said that we will celebrate. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Let me skip ahead here. He says I absolutely think the church should be concerned, uh, but I don't want to be an alarmist about it. So he's, he's talking about like uh, Reliant K invited a uh, openly, I guess, gay person to tour with them. Um, so more, more examples of this. Uh, Cooper says, here's the thing that really got me. What concerns me the most is that large portions of the church in America just don't really mind that these artists are trying to make their way into the Christian market. Cooper asked, how do you expect Christian artists to hold the line on anything when you got J.D. Greer? The former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, quoting evangelical leader Jen Wilkin, saying the Bible shouts about materialism, but only whispers about sexual morality. Now, this shows such a great command of the facts that he knows J.D. Greer got it from Jen Wilkin. Um, there are influential leaders like Jen Hatmaker, he says, who praised the LGBTQ community, David French, who calls Drag Queen Story Hour a blessing of liberty, and multiple Christian influencers who instruct us to use pronoun hospitality for trans-identified people. This is so above and beyond what I would expect from any Christian music artist. He understands what's happening in evangelicalism and he's standing against it. And the examples he uses are perfect. He's not going to the fringes. He's going to mainstream examples and saying, look, it's here. The Trojan horse is here. What is real? What it really tells me is that the church is so far behind because our Christian leaders are not willing to really speak truth about these sinful, immoral things. If it offends the world. Uh, so, so anyway, the, the article goes on for, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, for a while, but, um, you know, 
it, it's really good. It's just really, it's a breath of fresh air uh, to hear John Cooper saying these things, to know that there's someone uh, in, in this industry who isn't going along. So um, next on the list, let's see, there's a few things I want to talk about. Let's see, where should we go? Well, while we're at it, while we're talking about the rot in the Christian music industry, why don't we talk a little bit about the rot in political conservatism while we're at it? So here is a clip from Dennis Prager. I think this is recent. It was posted at least recently on Twitter. This is what Den Dennis Prager has to say about, um, I guess, AI-generated child pornography. You heard that right, AI-generated child pornography. And I'll ask you before I play the clip, do you think that that's a right or a wrong thing or amoral? It it's, doesn't have a, a right or wrong quality at all. Uh, is it neutral? Uh, you can answer that for yourself. As a Christian, of course it's wrong because it, God judges the desires of the heart. And when the, the heart wants sinful, evil things, that's evil. Um, if you look at a woman with lust, that's committing adultery in your heart. And so the full extent of the sins that would be considered sexual sins in the Old Testament, uh, certainly um, pedophilia would be covered under this uh, and for multiple reasons. And um, and so fantasizing about it, apparently, though, for some people is not wrong. That's the weird part. Here's Dennis Prager. Evil of animated child pornography. No, I, I certainly I, would. I, I, no, I would use evil only with behavior. That's where we might differ yeah. forgetting the sex issue. You can't be evil. You didn't do evil if you thought evil. You I, did if evil I'm if you masturbating to animated pictures of pornography. I'm not doing something evil. That's correct. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's despicable. Yeah. Really. <laughs> He's surprised. Really, really, that's despicable. Um, I don't think I have to say anything to that clip. I'll just leave that right there. This is someone who. I mean, Prager. You. I mean, it's big. Dennis Prager is a big deal in the political conservatism, you know, movement, if you want to call it that. And that is not conservatism, certainly not Christianity, but that is not conservatism uh, at all. If, if, you know, if that should be allowed, if that should be, it's okay for that to be legal, you can't even say it's wrong for someone to do it. That's insane. That's insane. But that's where we are. And, and I would just beg you who are listening, don't listen to this guy, please. If he's that wrong and such a fundamental thing, you know, how can he, I'm not saying he gets other things right. I'm sure he does. But this is so fundamental. How in the world? Can you get that wrong? I mean, if, if you think those desires are okay, that's, that's one step away from saying the actions are now he would probably draw the, he would draw the line at the actions, but he has, doesn't really have much of a reason to, because there really isn't anything that's evil. Because even when you're committing those actions, the desires in your heart, as you're committing those actions, aren't evil. It's only the actions that are evil. This gets you into weird places. Um, it, it, it undercuts. Uh, the morality, Christian morality. And th this is, this undercuts um, the Protestant country that we've traditionally lived in. When you fill it with people who, I mean, if this is the Judeo and Judeo-Christian, which hopefully it's not for everyone, but if, if this, I mean, this is one of the most prominent Jewish uh, conservatives, if that's the Judeo part of Judeo-Christian, then we need to throw it out like, and just stick with Christian because th this is, uh, this is unacceptable. And this is a deviation from the past. I mean, liberals even 20 years ago, I think would have been aghast at this. And now you have a conservative who's surprised that someone would have a problem with it. So, um, speaking of political conservatism, uh, we, our options are limited. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the people that you've seen on this podcast hopefully are good. I mean, you, you can go and talk to like, uh, Aaron McIntyre, right. And you listen to his stuff and he's a Southern Baptist and he's on the blaze. There's guys like him who get this stuff. 
um, your Steve Dace, right? I haven't had him. Maybe I should have him on. I've never invited him. I've actually spoken at a conference with him. I should probably invite him at some point. But th there are people like that. But there's very few. Uh, here is um, General Flynn uh, to just pick another example. And this is where things, th this is like BoomerCon, NeoCon. I don't know what you've been like. It, it's, it is so stereotypical. It is just, it's cringy. It's so stereotypical. Um, and, and I, you know, have some respect for General Flynn, or at least I did. Uh, I still do. But, you know, this is, this should not be allowed in churches. Um, here's General Flynn. And some people are calling this Christian nationalism. I would say not the people who I know who are advocating Christian nationalism, but it, this is, this is something different. Um, and maybe we should have a longer discussion on what Christian nationalism is. I think it's more a populist movement, uh, as we described earlier. Uh, but anyway, here's General Flynn. Constitution. Our constitution, if you read our constitution, and you should, in fact, you should put the Bible aside and read the constitution during some of your sermons. Just read pieces of it. Why? Why? Because if you study our you study our Constitution, I mean study. You study the Federalist Papers. You study the, the, the writings. I can't take anymore. He goes on and basically says all our founding documents came from the Bible, and so you should just preach on that sometimes and close your Bible. Um, at first, I wanted to, when I first heard, like, before I got to the end of the clip, I wanted to say, <laughs> maybe there's, like, an out here. Maybe there's, like, a... Like it's just poorly phrased. And what he meant was like, in addition to the Bible, you should just understand that the constitution also has biblical principles. That that's not what he said. Uh, he, he's d basically elevating the constitution to a level it should never be elevated to. And the declaration of independence and the federalist papers. And th these are the writings of men guys. You can, and, and this is one of the big problems. Some people call it boomer conservatism. I, I tend to use uh, neoconservatism, but this is the problem with that post-World War II consensus thinking, that Cold War era conservative thinking that um, wants to make the United States this idealized uh, creedal nation that doesn't have to speak English, doesn't have to uh, you know, be Anglo-Protestant. It, all it has to do is believe in some vague notion of freedom or equality or something like that. And that's what makes us better than the communists. And it's because we have these documents, these, these words, these... Uh, uh, as Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg address, these propositions enshrined in, in documents and look, those documents, uh, I mean, I have respect for them, but I know where they sit, where they stand. They're not innovative. Uh, they are restrictive. At least the constitution is, uh, the declaration of independence is more of a national divorce certificate, but they are, uh, they communicated something at the time in which they were written. And as long as the constitution is honored for ourselves and our posterity, it has validity. But as soon as it's not, as soon as it's just not even worth the, the paper it's written on, then that's not what, that's not what's guiding our country. Do you really think the constitution is guiding the United States right now? No. And do you think it, what's the mechanism? There's no practical mechanism conservatives have uh, for getting back to that point. So what are we then obligated to worship this document? Uh, I'm all for valuing the constitution, but we need to know what time it is. We need to know that this document is so violated and it has been for years. I mean, it's, this even predates the civil rights movement. Uh, it's just, it, it's almost not worth the, the ink it's written in. There are certain things I'm glad are still somewhat in place. I mean, they're, they're, uh, Tennessee is doing their utmost, even I think uh, if they haven't passed it, they will next week to 
um, undermine the Second Amendment, which I, I don't want to get into this. I'm, I'm not an incorporation guy. So um, I think Tennessee should be able to do what Tennessee wants. Uh, I, I don't think they should pass any red flag laws, but I think they should they have the right to um, under the original Constitution if they want to. Um, Constitution is because of incorporation has been interpreted so that the Bill of Rights apply to the states. That's a whole nother conversation. But uh, there, there is, I, I think on a more root basic level, there is an attack on the founding, the, the things that were taken for granted during the founding, like you can protect yourself, right? This was, most state constitutions have that as well. Um, so, so there are things like that that are still somewhat holding out, but it's less and less things. And um, so anyway, this this kind of thing is not helpful from General Flynn because what it does is it neutralizes, uh, it takes energy that whatever limited energies we have as conservatives and, and Christian, Christian conservatives, and it takes that and then it channels it into trying to conserve something that has long been uh, abandoned, has has long lost its authority. Now, I, I think there's value in, in learning about the Constitution in using the constitution um, where, when you, where you still can use it legally. I think there's value in uh, where you can trying to maintain the constitution, but it's not a suicide document. It's not a hill to die on. Uh, it is, it is um, not something that the other side honors at all. And uh, it's time to realize that they're after power. They have power. And the only thing that will defeat them is power. There is no neutral basis by which to actually get along with them. There, there's no, I mean, what do we have in common? There, nothing. There is, it's war. It's a cold war in, in our own country. Uh, constitution isn't going to bridge that gap. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's go on from this. And um, I mean, look, I'm doing the 1607 project. I believe the constitution It's part of our history. It's very important. Um, we're going to talk about the declaration um, here just a minute. Maybe we'll continue this conversation before we end. So James Lindsay, um, <laughs> James Lindsay. Uh, so, so James Lindsay, if people can see that I'm, I'm signed in on the truth script. Uh, I'm one of the people that has access to the truth script Twitter. So that's where I'm signed in. By the way, I do have my own Twitter now. Again, uh, it's, I'm trying to remember the handle. I think it's at John Harris, 89, something like, or not at John Harris, 1989, something like that. Um, I am on Twitter. I wasn't for a while. Um, but anyway, uh, true script, um, I'm on the true script Twitter and that's how I'm viewing this. Uh, so I'm going to go back in this conversation between Nate Fisher, Fisher and James Lindsay, Nate Fisher. It starts off here. Um, the declaration states that governments are instituted to preserve rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It does not include political participation by its standard. A monarchy that preserves these rights is superior to a democracy that fails to he's spot on. The Declaration of Independence is not the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence is not the Articles of Confederation. The Declaration of Independence is not um, any of the state constitutions. It is a certificate of national divorce. It is a document that uh, th that basically says that the King of England has engaged in abuses and failed to protect his colonies and not treated them like citizens. Therefore, the Declaration of Independence recognizes that, I guess, we're not. It's like when you break up with, with someone and say, or even a friendship and you say, I'm, I'm just recognizing what's already there. Like you're not treating me as a friend. I guess we're not friends. And the De declaration of independence says basically we need to secure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which they're not being secured. 
and that was the promise of the unwritten British constitution that's not being implied. And because of that, we, we are going to, uh, actually we're, we're going to, uh, submit to our state governments that it, it doesn't say explicitly that, but that was the context. Um, we're going to, uh, among the nations of the earth, take our stand and we, we already have governments that will secure these things and we're going to secede. That's the de Declaration of Independence. And, and it's proving, that's most of the document is just proving that King George has usurped the rights of uh, British people. And so this is, so, so in theoretically, I mean, I don't think Jefferson would have gone for this, but theoretically, yeah, you could have had a monarch. You could have had another form of government take shape. In fact, we did. We had the Articles of Confederation take shape, which was a very loose kind of a uh, confederation. And, and then we went to a constitution, which was much different. Uh, at least it was much stronger, it gave more power to the central authority. And we, we see where that's gotten us. So, um, so it didn't recommend a form of government necessarily. It was just saying we need a government that will secure our rights because King George isn't our inalienable rights. So he, he in walks James Lindsay. It's one of the reasons I, I could probably point out a million examples from, well, not a million, but I could, I could point out more than one example, uh, even from the last week with James Lindsay, just he knows certain things, but he this is he he wants to say he knows things in areas that he's just not he, he doesn't know <laughs> he doesn't know the material, and that's I find that frustrating. If he if he learned the material or he uh, did the reading or he stayed in the lane where he does know about something, I think he could be a lot more helpful. But this leads people down the wrong path. So he says this. Uh, to, he responds. He says, "With the consent of the governed is the basis of the just powers to secure." those self-evident liberties. New founding is about establishing a magisterial monarchy in America, which must start by destroying America as it was originally intended and constituted. So the idea here is that if you're open to the idea of, or that the, that the Declaration of Independence did not prescribe a specific form of government, then you must be okay with a monarchy forming now. And not only that, you want a monarchy to form now. I mean, talk about a logical leap, but that's what he's saying. Now, I think I quote tweeted this, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, there I am. And my handle is at John Harris, 1989. And, and all I said was Jefferson's point was that the king usurped rights he was to protect. If he had not done so, the states would be violating the principle that governments should not be changed for light and transient causes. Jefferson says that in the document. He was filing a national divorce, not arguing against social hierarchy. So the revolutionary way of reading the Declaration of Independence is that it's an argument against um, social hierarchy, against the divine right of kings, um, heredity, which of course Jefferson was against uh, heredity. He wanted a natural aristocracy, so he was he was for hierarchy, but he wanted to he wanted a different kind of hierarchy, and um, and so he wasn't arguing against those things uh, explicitly in that particular document. But that's the way it's viewed now, and that the consent of the governed, the people, you know, choosing is just that that's the basis for all our government. That's the sacred thing. And that's why the left thinks democracy is so sacred. And, and so James Lindsay isn't much, what he's advocating isn't much different than what the left says when they talk about this. It, I, I don't see at least a big difference. I mean, the left, uh, you know, they deify or they sacralize democracy. James Lindsay is sacralizing uh, the consent of the governed as if that is the basis of the just powers. Uh, and, and, and that as if to say the, the declaration of independence is, um, advocating for a new form of government that England did not have because it was the right form of government and England wasn't doing the right thing. And that's not what Jefferson's saying. He's not saying that the, the problem was that England was not, uh, didn't have the right form of government. He's saying that England is not uh, being true to the form of government it actually has. 
It's not treating them like British citizens. It's not, um, it's not treat. It, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's not a commentary on, on like social uh, or political theory. Um, yeah, there's political theory in it, but that's not the point. Um, so this is a misreading of the declaration of independence. Hopefully I've made that point clear. If anyone has questions, they can, uh, uh, let's see, they, they can, um, ask me in the chat. Let me see if anyone's, yeah. All right. All right. So, so, uh, it goes on, he says, um, the declaration states, let's see, that's not what I wanted. Um, before, and then after that, um, Nate Fisher says, Lindsay intentionally misses the point. The declaration lays out some of the ends of good government. Nothing in it requires particular means of getting to these ends. Most of the founders ended up favoring a republic as the best way means of protecting these ends, but they saw this as a deep prudential debate between imperfect alternatives. Nearly all of them would have agreed with my original post, and many of them, uh, like Hamilton, preferred something closer to a limited monarchy than to popular democracy. He's spot on with that. And you know, if this were really true, that it was just the consent of the governed, right, was the um, the only thing, and that meant a certain form of government, then you would think democracy is the best form. But even in democracy, someone has to run the machines. Someone has to run whatever mechanism uh, channels and evaluates the consent of the governed to know who they're electing or what they're supporting. I mean, why don't why do we why not even why not just do away with legislatures and have a national vote on every issue? And whoever wants to log in and, and vote, they can vote. I mean. If that was theoretically possible, then I suppose, you know, that would be what Thomas Jefferson must have been advocating. That's the perfect form of government. And we know that that's mob rule and that's not. So uh, consent of the governed in the Declaration of Independence is um, more just a statement of fact that all this, this applies to all governments, including monarchies. Even monarchies exist by the consent of the governed. You see this in the Old Testament when even wicked kings did things that were wicked. The people were also punished. So there, there is, um, th this isn't, doesn't conflict with that particular, uh, form of government. Uh, and then let's see, is that it? Uh, okay. And so then it ends with James Lindsay saying, pay attention to these traitors. So no argument, no addressing the material, just mischaracterizing and then calling them traitors. This is someone who's not worth, uh, your time. And, and that's really what I want to say on, on these matters. Uh, this is just someone who's not worth your time. Uh, Lindsay does not understand some of the things he talks. Some of them he does, but some of the things he just does not understand. And when he talks about it, he is causing people to get off track, to to get distracted in. I mean, I think it's like he would be against what General Flynn said, but it's the same thing in my mind. It's it's it, you're not you don't know what time it is. You're not dealing with reality at that point. Uh, we need to. It's very simple in my mind. Okay, there's evil going on. It must be stopped. There's wicked, evil things that God calls evil that should not be done on a social level and should not be done as widespread as they're being done. We need to stop those things from happening. The Constitution has been violated to make those evil things, in some cases, possible. What do we do right now? Uh, I wanted to have um, Dusty Devers on, and I couldn't because I lost my wallet two days ago. And man, that was a headache all afternoon. I, I was at a gas station. I put it was so stupid of me. I put it on my truck and I drove off and someone fortunately reported it. And I was able to uh, get it back after I had replaced like everything. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I wasn't able to meet up with Dusty. Dusty Devers is one of these guys who signed or, or created. He crafted the statement on Christian nationalism and he's running for Senate in Oklahoma. And I wanted to ask him this question. OK, what do you do? You become senator of Oklahoma. 
what now? What, what kinds of things do you propose, vote for? What strategies do you use to affect change? I mean, I think you could probably do more on the state level than on the national level, but you know, maybe, maybe that's a stepping stone. Maybe he wants to be governor. I don't know. What do you do when you get into that position of power? How do you wield it? That is the question. Do you wield it, as Romans 13 says, to punish evil and promote good? Or do you, uh, do you get off track and get distracted by things like uh, we need to, um, we're, we're chained to some, arch- I don't want to say archaic because it's not archaic, but we, we're chained to some form of government that is long since passed. And expending all your energy trying to get that form of government back, not saying it's not wrong to expend some energy on that, but taking those resources that could be used to stop present current evil. That's, that's the concern I suppose I have. And, and I'm becoming more practical about politics. I think the older I get, because I just realized that things change fast sometimes, but in one man's lifetime, even if they're in Congress or in government for a long period of time, what can they really do? What kinds of things can they do to roll back? What, what's their goal in there? And, and I'm thinking like for, for me, even on a smaller level, what can I do to um, affect change where I am? And it's, so, so for some people, it's going to be small things. It's going to be showing up at your town board. It's going to be uh, maybe even just praying. I mean, depending on your situation, it's going to be different things. But what I don't want is to have these big grandiose, like we're going to get back to some kind of uh, ideological consent of the governed that's found sub- supposedly in the declaration and manifested in the constitution that really we don't have a hope of getting back to that not with our present circumstances. It was made for a moral and religious people. It was made in an Anglo-Protestant context. We, it would be great to theoretically get back to that. It'd be great to, um, and, and I think of it that way in a way. I, th- I still think of, okay, America, that, that is the core of what America is. If you want to understand what America is, you got to understand Anglo-Protestantism. But that has been diluted, um, and, and there's rampant evil. So the best thing sometimes you can do is stop the evil around you using whatever means at your disposal to do so. Um, okay, <laughs> that's enough of my uh, practical speak here uh, and meeting the current challenges where they're at. If anyone has questions about that, no, I'm not against the Constitution. On, on the contrary, I'm for it. But there are things that I think are underlie. There's, there's things that matter more than the Constitution. The Constitution was designed to protect, and they're not being protected. Um. <clears throat> I think that was the end. I think, let's see, do I have anything more I wanted to share? Uh, no, no. Um, just uh, go to overcomingevilconference.com if you're interested in the men's conference. And like I said, it's the best bang for your buck. It's the best experience for men uh, that will encourage you. We have some great speakers. Um, and uh, it's coming up September 21st through 24th. And and it's, uh, yeah, it, I'll be there. So I, I look forward to meeting you. If you can make it overcomingevilconference.com, that's overcomingevilconference.com. And let me know if there's anything I can do. If you need financial aid, if you need carpooling, uh, whatever, the information's all there. God bless. Uh, more coming. Hope you have a great weekend and pray for me tomorrow. I'm preaching on the Lord's Day. God bless.